Screen Time with John Fardy. This is News Talk. Hello and welcome to Screen Time. I'm John Fardy and this is News Talks TV and Movie Show. This week on the show I talk to Ema Reynolds, director of the new movie Joyride, starring Olivia Colman. A delightful buddy movie set in the south of Kerry about a reluctant mother and a wayward teenager. Communications guru Terry Prone chats about her favourite movie. Plus we have all this week's TV you'll want to stream and or skip. Plus, your chance to win a goodie bag from the new movie DC League of Super Pets. I'm open on Twitter, John underscore Farty, or you can email me, screentime at newstalk.com. This show is available as a podcast every Friday at 5 p.m. on newstalk.com or the Newstalk app powered by Go Loud. And it's on the radio every Saturday at 6 p.m. right here on Newstalk. Good weekend to you all. Hope you're doing well. I've been home alone for a few days. My wife and children, who I mention regularly, have gone ahead on their holidays and I will be following them in due course. Obviously, I couldn't leave too early, entertaining the nation and all that. Superheroes don't take too many holidays. But, uh, you know, I've mentioned to you many times before that I have three, you know, smallish kids because they're all under the age of 10 or thereabouts and the youngest is three. And our house is in a constant state of noise, you know, and I'm not complaining. It's joyful noise, but it's, you know, someone spilled a drink, someone wants a drink, someone stole someone's drink, TV's on, radio, you know, it's, you, you, you get the picture. So it, it's noisy. And then suddenly on Tuesday evening, it was incredibly quiet and has been ever since, you know, and you, you, you know, in those noisy moments, you sometimes long for peace. And then you get the peace you think you long for. And it's, it's kind of eerie that the quiet in my house this week has been strange and slightly unsettling. I have to say now, lots of people live alone. I used to live alone, but I'm, I'm just saying that, you know, to go from a house that's very noisy to very empty and quiet it is a strange, slightly unnerving feeling. Also, you're not really accountable to anyone, you know. Can I have a second pizza? Can I have a beer on a Tuesday? I think if things were to go on like this, I would become a overweight alcoholic. But the upshot is, I did get to watch a lot of TV. And chief among the TV I watched this week was this. Do you notify the victim's father without my go-ahead? I thought it was high time that we start following a normal order of operations. I was waiting until I had every question at the ready so I didn't have to call him twice. You're not in Vegas anymore, pal, and you are not in charge here. I'm well aware my skin is darker than most in this valley. What? And I'm very well aware that's not smiled upon in a 99% LDS town. Oh, come But I know cases like this a hell of a lot better than you do. Now, that is a clip from the new series. I was on FX in the States, but it's landed this week on Disney Plus under the banner of heaven. And you have Andrew Garfield there playing a Jeb Pryor is his name. He's a detective in Mormon heavy Utah, and he himself is very much a Mormon and a practicing Mormon, and he's clean shaven. And up against him, who you heard there, was the great actor Gil Birmingham, who plays a Native American detective who's an out-of-towner, let's say. And they're investigating a murder of a Brenda Lafferty. Now, she's played by Daisy Edgar-Jones, who I keep going to call Irish every week. She, Normal people has a lot to answer for. And she is found murdered. And we go on an investigation into what might have led to her murder in a Mormon family that she 
marries into the Lafferty's, who are big cheeses in the Mormon world, but have some secrets in their closet and are a little uncomfortable paying taxes. And you have Andrew Garfield investigating this murder. And what happens causes him to question his own Latter-day Saints faith, his Mormon faith, because he is very straight-laced and very religious when this begins and clean-shaven and the opposite of a, you know, hack detective. And what you also have in it is flashbacks to the formation of the Latter-day Saints, the Mormon church, with the fabled Joseph Smith and how he was ostracized. And it makes some interesting points about, I suppose, how America was founded, how it treated different groups of people, what the segregation of certain people might have meant as they came home to roost. There's a very fascinating scene where Joseph Smith is leaving a part of America. He's been driven out of town, Joseph Smith being the founder of the Mormon faith, and he's packing up this wagon load of guns. Very insightful piece of TV, I thought. And uh, so it's good on that level. But I suppose above that, it's, it's, it's a detective procedural drama, and it's very good. And I've come to realize that Andrew Garfield is a great actor. I, I've paid him scant attention or I was kind of indifferent to him. I liked him in the social network and, you know, the Spider-Man thing I could kind of take or leave. But recently I've been loving him. He was in that movie, Tick, Tick, Boom, playing the guy who wrote Rent in that Netflix movie musical by Lin-Manuel Miranda. He was great in that. Earlier in the year, he played another religious type in The Eyes of Tammy Faye, where he played this TV evangelist. And he was great in that. And he's great in this. I really have a lot of time from. So is Daisy Edgar Jones. So are most of the cast. It's quite heavy going, uh, given the subject matter. And it's, I don't want to say ponderous, but you have to commit to it. It's, it's not one you can throw on after a big plate of chips and you know, half watch. You've got to pay attention to this. But I think the juice is worth the squeeze. Under the Banner of Heaven, now streaming on Disney+. Plus. Now, another show I watched this week was this. I got off the phone with Kayla. I went to my computer. I typed in isanyoneup.com and the website came up and found my daughter and found her photos. There were some closed pictures and one topless picture as well that were posted next to her name. It was a jolt, it was kind of shocking. And I felt like it just needs to be removed immediately. Like, you know, two seconds is too long for it to be there any longer. It was very clear that site was about humiliating people as much as possible. It was very clear that the man who owned that website and ran that site was Hunter Moore. That is a clip from the most hated man on the internet. And that moniker applies to a man called Hunter Moore. Although calling him a man is a bit of a misnomer. He is quite simply a scumbag because he was the guy who set up a website over 10 years ago, back in the wilder days of the internet when it seemed anything could go, called Is Anyone Up? Which began as a website for kind of particular groups of people in in a music scene in, in California, but it quickly turned into this revenge porn site where this guy, Hunter Moore, would put up 
hack photos that people had on their phones and their email and would sometimes link their accounts to their Facebook profiles. And he trumpeted himself as being the king of revenge porn and in a certain sense, almost invented revenge porn. And if you put up a photo of someone in a compromising position that you got your hands on on this website is anyoneup.com, you would get a message saying, thank you for being evil. So this was incredibly nasty stuff. And as I say, was, was, you know, the first serious instant of a website dedicated to revenge porn. The lady you heard there talking was the mother of Kayla Laws. Kayla Laws was someone who had just taken a photo in the privacy of her own room, hadn't shared it with anyone, had moved it to a different device because of a storage issue. And then later it was found on this website. Her mother, Charlotte Laws, basically wasn't having any of this and went after this cretin Hunter Moore. And this documentary is all about her quest to get the photo taken down, but then other victims of this website and her crusade to basically take Hunter Moore to task. This is from the people who gave us the same production company of the Tinder Swindler and Don't F with Cats. So it's almost this sub-genre of true crime internet shows uh, where the internet becomes almost a criminal entity where people can do awful things to unsuspecting people. And what's quite telling, and and, and and the filmmakers have to be given proper kudos for this, is that any of the images we see are all recreated or faked. So they're not, you know, passing on these initial images that cause people to be so upset. This is, this is a good watch. It, it's three episodes and the kind of cat and mouse of trying to bring Hunter Moore to book is well handled. I mean, a quibble might be that Moore isn't made or we don't try and get an insight. The filmmakers don't try and give us an insight into why this happened and why communities could form around revenge porn. So it doesn't do its sociological dig, but Maybe that's another documentary because this is certainly a, a gripping watch, uh, all three episodes to see how this guy got away with this for so long and why authorities were, you know, kind of reluctant to police the internet and a, a testament to a, a campaigning mother who wasn't going to take her daughter being subjected to this abuse online for which she really had no hand actor part in. So it's a good watch. The most hated man on the internet. It's on Netflix, now streaming since Wednesday, I think it is, of this week. And one last thing I watched, see, I told you I watched a lot of TV this week, was a movie on Netflix that I've been meaning to get around to called The Man from Toronto, which is getting very bad reviews, it has to be said. It's been out a couple of weeks. It's Kevin Hart, who some people really don't like, who plays this kind of bumbling entrepreneur who's not very good at entrepreneurial endeavors. He's trying to be a fitness guru and he's just terrible at them and his long-suffering wife doesn't know what to do with him. And long story short, in a case of mistaken identity, he gets mistaken for being this very famous, almost Kaiser Soze hitman who's just known by the name The Man from Toronto. The man from Toronto is actually Woody Harrelson, who comes in playing this icy cold, but somewhat funny and occasionally sweet hitman. It's a kind of mismatched pairing of the two of these guys, Woody Harrelson and Kevin Hart, an action comedy. It's getting torn apart. The thing is, I kind of didn't mind it. I, I laughed a couple of times. Kevin Hart's stick 
is fine with me. And I love Woody Harrelson. Uh, and he plays this hitman who's cruel, but also quotes 19th century poetry and gets very shy around women. I, I kind of laughed a few times and as an action comedy, it, 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 it mildly diverted me for the guts of two hours. So, you know, I don't know why people are hating on it that much. It's not going to change your life. You'll probably never watch it again after you watch it once, but it passed two hours on my lonely week with no one in the house. So that's, uh, you know, Mark Ryle, a resident critic would probably call it weak sauce and it is weak sauce, but it's mildly diverting weak sauce. So about two stars for the man from Toronto now streaming on Netflix. Kevin Hart is in one of the new big releases of the week, the animated movie DC League of Super Pets. Crypto, the super dog and Superman are inseparable best friends sharing the same superpowers and fighting crime in Metropolis side by side. When Superman and the rest of the Justice League are kidnapped, Crypto must convince ragtag shelter pack Ace the Hound, BP the Pot-Bellied Pig, Merton the Turtle and Chip the Squirrel to master their own newfound powers and help him rescue the superheroes. This is out in cinemas this week. We have three goodie bags from the movie to give away. I had a look at them. There's teddies in there. There's a notebook. There's a tote bag. There's a frisbee. There's a pencil case. The little people in your lives might love one of these. The teddy's pretty cool. So if you'd like to be in with a chance of winning a goodie bag from DC League of Super Pets, simply text the word pets to 53106 or email us screentime at newstalk.com with the word pet. And Anne-Marie Kane will pick three winners of those goodie bags from DC League of Super Pets was his in cinemas this week. Up next, the great new Irish movie starring Olivia Coleman, Joyride. Now, the big new movie release of the week is Joyride, which stars Olivia Coleman and Charlie Reed. Fleeing from his father, 12-year-old Mully steals a taxi and is shocked to find a woman, Joy, in the backseat with a baby. Joy has decided to give her child away to a friend and Mully needs to get some distance from his debt-ridden dad, who's a pretty bad influence, and he's also after the cash, the cash Mully has with him. And so two lovable rogues, a complicated middle-aged mother and a troublesome adolescent go on a journey across Ireland, gradually finding the friendship love and learning that they never knew they needed in each other it's kind of a buddy movie with a difference it's delightful it's sweet it's poignant it's directed by Ema Reynolds who spoke to me less than a year ago for the equally gorgeous Phil Linnett songs for While I'm Away which my wife walked in and said why are you crying when I was watching more of that anon Ema joins me in studio which is wonderful as well Ema how are you? I'm very well thanks John thanks for having me in my pleasure now listen I'm going to start slightly at the deep end if you don't mind this is a brilliant it's a brilliant movie but it's a brilliant meditation on motherhood in a lot of ways and I don't want to turn this into you know Freud 101 but you lost your own mother early in life and Olivia Coleman's character has a very complicated relationship with her mother did that strike you immediately on some level yeah it was it was a huge draw for me you know I think every director is looking for a personal way into a script sure and the script appealed to me on many levels it's very funny it's very smart you know the characters are really rich but the themes uh, you talked about their friendship, family, those, lo- you know, themes about healing and hope. But actually the central team, theme about motherhood really resonated with me. My own mother died when I was four. And I think I spent my entire life kind of asking those questions, mm. you know, what what is a mother for and what is the mm. effect of a mother and does it really matter and how has it affected me, you know? So yeah. it was a real way to kind of look at 
look at those ideas, those themes through a few different lenses because it's a story of three mothers. There is Joy herself, who's this yes. reluctant mother with this ludicrous plan, you know, rejecting her own baby, thinking that yeah, I can do that, give the baby away mm. and get back to my life. Her own mother, who you see in the film in flashbacks, who's a, you know, a, maybe a cruel mother or a disinterested mother. And then Molly, who has lost his mother. Mm. Um, and she's presented as a very beautiful and warm mother and a terrible mm. lack in his life. So it's, it, it's a beautiful look at motherhood. Mm. And more, I think, it's also a really interesting look at motherhood, the way Joy plays it, the way Olivia plays it in Joy, she's, you know, she's not kind of floral and and easy and soft. You know, she's cantankerous, she's hilarious, she's fierce, she's filthy. So it's a very fresh, I think, non-cliched look at Yeah, and she smokes as well, which very few mothers (laughs) seem to do now. But, you know, it's a taboo still, rightly or, well, wrongly, let's face it. But the idea that a mother can, you know, a child can be born and sometimes there cannot be the connection we're all told we're meant to have with our kids, you know, or, or it can be fractious. Yeah. There can be joy, to not to be a pun, but there can be huge complications. Were you aware that maybe this, it, it's a joyful movie, but it, it's a very serious topic, the idea of not bonding with a child? Yeah, you know, and it, I mean, it, it it isn't about uh, like some sort of postnatal depression. No, this is, no, no. This, yeah, that's, this is, that's important to point out. Yeah, you yeah. know, this is a, this is some, she's had, it's like, generational trauma you know she's yeah. had some sort of understanding that she has absorbed through her life that she's mm. not a worthy person to be a mother that she won't make a good mother mm. there's a line she throws away in the middle of a, in the middle of the film in the middle of you know that it's quite a Fellini-esque uh, scene where they're driving over they're on the back of a trailer over a mountain with this giant paper mache baby's head on the back of a trailer and she throws away this line about yeah my mother always said it was better for everybody that I never wanted children you know and it's yeah. thrown away and yet she has she has embodied that and understood that her whole life that she wouldn't be a good mother and, and the film really in many ways is that journeying to see can she unpack that can mm. she realise she's enough that yeah that this child deserves her and that she deserves this child and she deserves to forgive herself and forgive her own mother and love again, you know. Yeah. And, and, you know, it's it's a it's a hopeful movie because of that, because it's a great journey through both Joy and Molly travel towards each other, yeah. towards healing. Yeah, and, and mother becomes important in their relationship and how they bond and all. I don't want to give any kind of spoiler, but you've intimated that there's hope there, right? There is a spine tinglingly, and I have to be careful, I'm going to start welling up, but where uh, Joy cries as she breastfeeds, it's just, h- how was that scene to film? You know, it's a beautiful, it's a beautiful, it, that's the central, like Alva, the writer, calls that the tentpole scene of right. the film. That I was, hope I haven't ruined the movie for <laughs> No, I, no, no, it's, she talks about it as being, that was the central idea when she first wrote the okay. script, you know. This she, is Alva Keegan. Alva Keegan, yeah. Keoghan. She, she tells a gorgeous story about when she had her own son. He was maybe six weeks old. She was struggling terribly with breastfeeding, walking the streets of the back roads of Kerry, thinking she'd never master it. And she was a useless mother and everything was falling apart. And she heard on the radio this gorgeous story about a 12-year-old boy in Tipperary who had stolen a car Mm. and found this newborn baby in the back seat. And, you know, when she tells me that story, it makes me laugh because she didn't have a thought about, oh my God, this little boy has this baby, this is a disaster. She actually had this thought, oh, what if he helped me? Maybe he could help me to feed this baby, you know? So... That that was that was the germ of the idea yeah. for the film that this this young boy would help 
joy to become a mother. And, mm. he, you know, he teaches her in this very, very beautiful scene. We call it the baptism scene because mm. she does cry on top. You know, she drops yeah. tears onto the baby. And it's very beautiful. And it's very, it's something you've never really seen before. You know, yeah. his ease with feeding, his ease with babies is so beautiful it's in the gorgeous, film. It, and yeah. it, it's so surprising. And mm. She's looking to him and he's only a, a 12-year-old scallywag, you know, so it's really gorgeous. Yeah, and he has a, he has a bad dad, but, uh, but it's, it's mostly about mothers in, in a beautiful way. Let me ask you this, it's an obvious question, but Olivia Coleman is an Oscar winner. When she said yes, did you go, okay, we're not in Kansas anymore, this has legs. Not that it didn't have legs, but she brings a weight. You know. Sure, sure. When Olivia signed on, you know, the, the, mm. it, it kind of lit a fire on the possibility of the film happening and happening w- soon and well, you mm. know, it, everything yeah. accelerated and uh, we couldn't believe our, our luck, but she loved the part and, and she loved the script and she was a joy, joy to work with. Sorry, excuse the fun. <laughs> <laughs> I've done it as well. She seems to be one of those people who doesn't have a lot of airs and graces about her. You see her on TV shows and accepting Oscars and it's all very funny. Is she is she like that? And She's she's absolutely what you expect her to be, uh, you know, in real life. Um, uh, even more so, she's yeah. incredibly kind and funny and collegial and collaborative. And she does not come onto the set carrying her Oscar. You know, she she wants <laughs> she wants to be. That can be awful. <laughs> that would be in the way. She she comes. You know, she's a really strong team player. She wanted to be her own stand-in. She wants to cooperate okay. with the the camera crew about best positions. You know, she's really really wonderful to be around and it was wonderful to have her on set especially for young Charlie who was his first film you know Well I want to get to him he's a revelation uh, my wife who was at it with me was saying that kid is incredible uh, I always bring in my wife just so you know it's more than one person's opinion Mully where did you find him Charlie Reed? We went on a you know quite an elaborate and extensive broad search okay. we, we, we went out last year to you know, all of the newspapers and radio stations, acting clubs, karate clubs, GAA clubs, kind of going, is there a young boy out there yeah. who's the right for this? And we started with... I think with, we might have announced that casting. I think you search. did, yeah, because we went very broad <laughs> yeah. and we started... We'll talk retainers later on. <laughs> we started with 150, sorry, 1,500 um, wow. tapes from young boys came in Genie. and, uh, you know, it took, it took 16 weeks to whittle it down and, yeah. and um, Charlie Reed emerge victorious. And I'm so privileged to cast him. I think he's an incredible young talent. He's brilliant. He really is. And the future would look bright for him. And to to play it, you don't need me to tell you, but to, you know, to play a part that has so much trauma in it as well. And, and, and even to be able to help a woman breastfeeding, even if it's acting, he just carries it off brilliantly. Like he's, he's one to watch. I was reading in the production notes, you quoted probably in my top three favourite poems of all time, Seamus Heaney, Postscript. And I'm not just saying this, I, I recited lines of that at a thing I had to do in college 20 years ago and sometime make the time to drive out west. Of the yeah, yeah. Was that like, uh, for people who don't know, Postscript, the last poem in Seamus Heaney's collection, The Spirit Level, I have. I promise you I'm not making this up. I adore that poem. I have it on a wall at home. But did you guys have that up as kind of a mantra? Well, I certainly kept it very close to my heart and it was part of... It formed part of the letter that I wrote to Olivia before oh. uh, she she came on board. And okay. it, I, I kept quoting that line about, you know, where the buffeting winds might catch the heart off guard and blow it open, you know. And that was that was a kind of a touchstone for us, for the yeah. feel of the movie, yeah. that it would it would be big hearted, it would be open hearted, you know, that it yeah. wouldn't be it wouldn't. It would wear its heart, you know, yeah. and, 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 and that the West of Ireland and Kerry brings that 
Yeah. I know Postscript is said in Claire, but you know, it's that kind Let's of not worry that, about that, that west, that wild. Yeah, the flag wild. shore. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. It, the, the country looks beautiful in it as well. Come here, Tommy Tiernan pops up. Now, it's, it's not a cameo because it's slightly longer than that, but it's not a huge role. But he's, he's great. And, and every time I see him in anything, I'm going, God, he's great. There's so much more to him. And I feel like I've been saying that for 10 years now. Like, he, he plays this guy in a ferry who's just, you know, wants to help these people. Did you, do you sense that with Tommy, that he, you know, he contains multitudes in a way? I think he's, I think he's a wonderful actor. Mm. There's incredible depth. He was really, really, like, it's a very small part in the film, you know, uh, mm. and yet he brought some incredible sensitivity to it. He knew he was going to have this little moment with mm. Charlie talking about babies and how yeah. how he, he's, he is this he is this father figure that Molly didn't have, you know, or yeah. doesn't have and talks to him about love that you can't half love a child. But yeah, a he was wonderful. Line, yeah. He was wonderful to have around and really funny and obviously <laughs> but he, he also plays the tin whistle on uh, in the film and that was and him that wasn't yeah. he did that live yeah. and you know took took himself off and learned how to play it and we, we recorded that live it was it, he was great in it uh, and as I say it's a delightful movie I mentioned the Phil Linnett one uh, we talked about last year and you know that was released in a time when the world was still fixing itself and cinemas were open and back and all that but it's continued to have a life outside of that has the reaction to that pleased you how much we still love this man Phil Lynott yeah gorgeous you know I'm really sorry for the film that it did get uh, kind of trapped by Covid you know because yeah, it had a couple of release dates with three and that. three yeah. like, like the not co- to bring you down <laughs> it was like the cock crowing thing like three times we were about to release including that Christmas when we were yeah. supposed to go out on the Stevens' day and that's it was, right it was Stevens yeah. I remember someone asking me for tickets yeah there. and then yeah. they closed it down on the 23rd you know so it, it, I'm really sad that it didn't get the big broad release that it deserved because you know like Philip it's it's yeah. it's loud it's colourful oh, the yeah. incredible music but yeah. it has continued you know to be I, I get emails and, and tweets about it every sing, single day people are loving it and finding it you know so maybe it'll have a, one of those longer lives where yeah, people discover I, it over time I think it will I think it will and look not to put you on the spot but where could people I know you're here to talk about Joyride but where could people see Songs for While I'm Away at the moment so right now it's heading for it's kind of it's it's a streaming release okay. but right now it's it's available They've re, they issued it on old fashioned DVD and okay. Blu-ray Along with uh, a Thin Lizzy box set or a Thin oh, Lizzy, great. a revamp of the Sydney the Sydney concert that Thin Lizzy did. Yeah. So it can be bought like that at the moment and then it'll be wide streaming shortly. Okay, brilliant. Well, we look forward to seeing that. And let me take you right back to the beginning. You came to people, you had been in the business for a long time as an editor and all, but you made this, dare I call it, smallish documentary, The Farthest, all about the Voyager programme and this thing that headed off in 1977 and it's, it's such a beautiful documentary and you talk to the people who are involved in that and this almost eerie thing on the edge of the universe mm-hmm. that was whiling away for years. I talked about, you know, Phil Linnett, your your movie, having the documentary Having a Life, but the farthest, the life that has had has... People still text in our show about whenever we talk about documentaries. Like, you must be surprised by the life that's had. Yeah, well, I don't know if I'm... I, I mean, I'm surprised and delighted. I, I'm so thrilled, but, mm-hmm. you know, it's... a. Uh, very soon after we started showing it, you know, it was it was started to punch above its weight very quickly, yeah. and I think it was because 
Well, people love space. I love space, yeah, for, yeah. you know, all that. But the film was ostensibly about space, ostensibly about this little spacecraft knocking it out of the park in terms of scientific exploration. Yeah. But it was truly, it was actually really about love. It was about mm. awe. It was about miracles. It was about looking up into the night sky and wondering, why am I here? What's it all for? Are we alone? So I think the film, it just kind of tapped into some some deep need we all have to understand and without wanting to pull it around to Joyride I think it also has that as well you know it has that feeling of you know it, it, it's a story and yet it it, it it captures big ideas you know big ideas yeah. about why we're here and Absolutely. what makes us love and what makes life worth living It's fine that you bring it back to Joyride that's why you're here after all on that you know I was struck when you were talking about and I'm always struck by but when you were talking about getting these 1500 tapes it's a miracle that any movie gets made and I don't think, you know, you're on a, a round of talking about the movie and stuff but I don't think people realise just how big a process it is to make a movie. Like there you were going through tapes. I know last night you were down in Kerry at a premiere. Like a movie, any movie, but a movie like this that's so heartfelt, it takes over your life for a year plus I'm assuming, doesn't it? Are, are you are, <laughs> yeah, it does. You love your movie but it's it's tiring. Well this week has been particularly tiring. <laughs> we had the Dublin premiere on Tuesday then we were down in Kerry last night for a premiere last night so yeah. and it goes unreleased tomorrow. So yeah, a lot of it, a lot of it, the intensity of it is what it, is what surprises you because yeah. not only talking to people but people's response to it. You know, the the film is uh it's a lot of laughs and a lot of tears, you know, like it's a big emotional journey mm. and a big joyous and 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 and, and you know all, all the feels, all, all the, the journey. So there's an intensity to that. people are sharing those experiences. Yes, exactly. Yeah. Afterwards and wanting yeah. to talk about it. Yeah, and, yeah. But I, I Well, I better it. wrap it up and let you <laughs> quieten down. Joyride is in cinemas all over Ireland from Friday the 29th of July. I would urge you to go see it. En route to me saying goodbye to you. So you did this documentary about the Voyager, then you immortalised Phil in it and now you've made this gorgeous movie with Olivia Coleman and Charlie Reed going through the, the back roads of Kerry. So it's fascinating to know what you might be doing next. The, I believe I'm, I'm hoping to shoot uh, an, an adaptation of a Dublin novel called Montpellier Parade written by Carl Geary. I'm hoping to shoot that late spring next year. We have some significant cast already attached okay. and it's a dark love story set in Dublin in 1988. Sounds good to me. I had a few of them. So uh, <laughs> hopefully you'll come back in. In the meantime, as I say, people should go and see Joyride, directed by Emer Reynolds. It is in cinemas from the 29th of July. Emer, thanks a million for coming into studio. Thanks for having me. Up next, Terry Prone on her favourite film. Now you're welcome back to Screen Time News Talks TV and Movie Show. It's that stage of the week where we chat to someone well known about their favourite moon movie. Terry Prone is, of course, the chairman of the communications clinic. But I think it's fairer to say she is a communications guru. I was going to call her the grand dame of communications in Ireland, but that would age her terribly, which I don't want to do. Terry, thank you very much for coming into studio. Huge pleasure. I'm honoured to have been asked. So listen, your favourite movie, delightfully in the near four years I've been doing this show, it's never been chosen. Will you tell our listeners what it is? It's called Man for All Seasons. Uh, It won five Oscars when it appeared in 1966. And I went to it with my older sister when I was in my early teens. And from the opening shot... I was just completely hooked. It's one of those opening shots like Working Girl, 
that goes on forever. Yeah. Um, but it's it's a desperately simple image. It's just a duck swimming across a lake and all the details about the director, Zinnemann, the title of the movie come up. And then you learn that this is about a man named Thomas Moore and he was a big pal of Henry VIII. Mm-hmm. And he was particularly a man who got away with stuff. He wasn't a hero. He didn't look to be a hero. He was politically very clever and a big pal of the king. And then there's uh, an image early on where you you get an insight into the king because his boat with a whole load of very dressed up courtiers um, is arriving at the bank of the river where Moore lives mm. to pay a visit. And the boat comes in and Henry VIII, without thinking, jumps off the boat into thick mud that splatters all over his beautiful clothes. And you can see the courtiers left behind on the boat, frozen in terror, dying to laugh, because of course you'd want to Mm. laugh in that situation, but knowing they could die if they laughed. And Henry VIII, who's played by Robert Shaw, turns around and looks at them, stem to stern of the boat, with an absolutely impassive face. And then he laughs, and then they laugh, because they now have permission to laugh. And in that one sequence, you realise, okay, this man has already been established as a Renaissance man, as a musician, a composer, a poet, all of those things. Now we realise something about his ego and his control of courtiers and the people around him. And that's the point where you can't look away. Wow. And then, because people will know the slight history, the, I suppose the meat and potatoes of the story is Henry VIII wants to marry again and our, our friend Thomas More, in essence, isn't going to let him because it's going to cause havoc. And he sticks to his principles without giving a he spoiler. He does. The, the, one of the, the, the lines in it that's so, it was so shocking to a young person yeah. um, was when Cardinal Woolsey, who's played by Orson Welles, mm. is discussing the Queen Catherine of Aragon who needs to be got rid of and he says she is barren as a brick. And it's such a misogynistic, cruel, mm. awful thing to say but that's the essence of it. Um, Henry VIII wants successors. Uh, or, or a line of succession and he also is besotted with Catherine, uh, Anne Boleyn mm. who's played in my view badly by um, Vanessa Redgrave and he is relying on Thomas More to persuade the Vatican to allow this divorce and, and remarriage and much of the movie is about Thomas More not saying no mm. He is highly sophisticated and subtle and he manages to weave his way. And it's it's beautifully summed up. His daughter, who's played by Susanna York, is in love with a guy called Roper, mm-hmm. who's played by Corin Redgrave. And Roper is a 
bloody Egypt. He is one of those impulsive, principled guys who always wants to take on the bad guys. And at one stage, he has a fight with Moore when he says to Moore that he would cut down all of the laws in the land in order to get at the devil. And Moore says to him, oh, and and when the last law was down and the devil turned round on you, where would you hide, Roper? The laws all being flat. And that kind of sums up his own thing. He doesn't want to bend the laws, but he doesn't want to do what Henry VIII wants him to do. And eventually, push comes to shove. He ends up in the Tower of London. And he's being interrogated by Leo McKern is the actor, the guy who played in that legal thing. What was it? Rumpel of the Bailey. Exactly, yes. He plays Thomas Cromwell. And you're watching the main actor who is Paul Schofield. Mm. And Schofield wasn't good looking. He wasn't at all handsome. He had this pockmarked face, I presume from childhood acne. He wasn't handsome, but he was beautiful. Mm. You couldn't take your eyes off him. Yeah. And you see him, you see him first of all relating to his betrayer and his betrayer who tried to frame him for bribery um, was a man named Richard Rich, played in one of his earliest performances by William Hurt. Okay. And it's a fabulous performance because he's so sleazy and unlikable and dishonest and yet he basically brings down Thomas More and as his family visit him in the tower the inevitability of his death gets larger and larger. This, you clearly know this film inside out so it has lingered long in your memory since the late 60s clearly. I've seen it at least 10 times and one of the oddities was that when my wonderful husband came into my life he brought with him about 12 uh, tea chests full of stuff, discs and books and everything. So I had no interest in most of it, but I went through the books. And in the middle of the books, I found a paperback version of A Man for All Seasons that he had studied when he was in seminary. And wow. when I opened it, Lines were underlined that I knew by heart because I loved it so much. And it was a wow. The universe was telling you. <laughs> yes, it Things was. are looking good. And tell me this just finally. I remember Orson Welles in it and it was a weird time in his life. And, you know, the wheels were coming off a bit and he was making whiskey commercials. But Vanessa Redgrave, you, you think she's miscast or you think she's a bad actress? I don't think she's a bad actress usually, but I think she does a very bad job on this. She is trying to convey breathless lust mm. and she just looks as if she's recently been struck by a two by four. <laughs> Fair enough. Well, you have described that wonderfully and I have seen it, but I think I was as a child. But I do remember, and this is about you, but my mother 
telling me all about it because it was this thing about a man who was standing by his principles and I don't know I think she was trying to impart something to me so <laughs> I remember it fondly from my childhood but maybe I will rewatch it so thank you very much for that I presume I should have checked but I presume it's a click away in the cyberspace I'm sure someone could find it with no trouble let me ask you this Terry I described you as the grand dame of communications at the start and I wasn't trying to aid you as I said but It occurs to me that you have been engaged in helping people communicate for a very long time now. And I'm wondering, and I don't want to put words in your mouth, but, you know, the world is in a constant state of change and communications has changed above recognition almost or beyond recognition. But is there something in the fact that what you still tell people about how to communicate hasn't changed? Oh, yeah. Oh, a dead-on question. The key thing... First of all, great communication is always three things. It's interesting, it's understandable, it's memorable. But the only um, methodology that hits all three of those infallibly mm. is story. Right. There, There's no culture or country or period of history that isn't characterised. You've got the Celtic legends, the Nordic sagas, We've always told ourselves Mm. stories to understand the world around us. And so when when I started dealing with people more than 50 years ago on communication and this week, I would be listening to people talking conceptual bilge that nobody could understand at first hearing and stopping them say, sorry, explain that to me. And they would automatically go into a story mm. because the story is always there. But going through university, accountancy school, whatever, it kind of makes people think that if communication is simple, it's bad. Yeah. And if communication is complicated and conceptual, it's much more impressive. It may be more impressive, but people don't understand what you're saying. Yeah. So is it almost like we get the stories knocked out of us as oh, life yeah. goes on? Yeah. And the the amazing thing is, I don't know if you've recently had to tell Goldilocks and the three bears to anybody. Uh, I, well, I tell a lot of stories to three <laughs> small kids, but not that one. But, but if you had to tell Goldilocks and the mm. three bears to your three small kids... Because I presume you're not doing it to random through uh, small kids. Um, it would take you just a second. Okay, is it stools, porridge, and be- yeah? Okay, I've got the order yeah. of that right. After that, you could do it. Why? Because it gets imprinted in our memory. And the other thing that you will have noticed with your children is that they learn the stories, and if you tell it to them a second or third time. And you skip a bit, Mm. they make you go back because it isn't just the sequence or the characters, it's the music they love as well. Yeah. And and tell me, I know you usually charge for this, so I'm being cheeky. Enormously. But is it a myth to think that as Irish people, we're great communicators and storytellers? I I sometimes think that's over-egged nearly because... If you're teaching people communications, and I presume you've taught people outside of Ireland, do you think the Irish have an advantage? I, I sometimes think that's kind of nonsensical, but I'd love to know what you think. <laughs> we have a great welcome for ourselves in this country, don't we? Oh, <laughs> we, Jesus, we, we think do. we're mighty. We think we're just the blarney, all of that sort of stuff. 
I think we're pretty good. Mm. I have trained in 17 countries throughout the world. Yeah. And I've never dealt with a group or a, a nationality that got it so quickly. The Americans are much more... My my first boss, Bunny Carr, was in Harvard at some stage mm-hmm. and somebody said to him, what's the difference between an Irish audience and an American mm-hmm. audience? And without thinking, he said, well, an American audience listens to what you say and an Irish audience wonders what you're getting at. <laughs> Do you know, an American audience is just straightforward. Mm. Interest them, they love you. An Irish audience is going, <laughs> yeah, there's something behind this. Yeah, very good. Well, listen, I could talk to you about this stuff all day, but we, we better go. Her favourite movie is A Man for All Seasons. I would suggest, if it's not pejorative or sexist, that she's a woman for all seasons. Her favourite movie, as I say, is A Man for All Seasons. Terry Pone, thank you so much. Thank you. He's dangerous. He's a libel. He's a spy. Father, that man's bad. There's no law against that. There is God's law. Then God can arrest him. While you talk, he's gone. And go he should if he were the devil himself until he broke the law. So, now you'd give the devil benefit of law. Yes, what would you do? Cut a great road through the law to get after the devil? Yes. I'd cut down every law in England to do that. Oh? And when the last law was down and the devil turned round on you, where would you hide, Roper? The law's all being flat. This country is planted thick with laws from coast to coast, man's laws, not God's. And if you cut them down and you're just the man to do it, do you really think you could stand upright in the winds that would blow then? Yes, I'd give the devil benefit of law for my own safety's sake. Paul Schofield there being very ethical, as is his wont from... A Man for All Seasons, where he plays Sir Thomas More. And that, of course, was the favourite movie choice of Terry Prone. And my thanks to her. That's it for this week. Just remind you, if you want to get in touch with me at any stage during the week, you can email me, screetime at newstalk.com, or you can tweet me, John underscore Fardy. And remind you also that this show is available as a podcast every Friday at 5pm on newstalk.com or the Newstalk app powered by Go Loud. And it's on the radio every Saturday at 6pm. Here on News Talk, my thanks to Anne-Marie Kane, who helped out on the show as always. Next week, myself and Mark Ryle are bringing you one of our special shows where we're bringing you our favourite love story movies, our favourite rom-coms, our favourite doomed love stories. So I think it's going to be fun. That's that for this week. Enjoy the rest of your bank holiday weekend. Take care and we'll talk next week.